0: We have a very special guest tonight, thus the special show. It's uh, Dr. Marcy Bowers. She is joining us from her home uh, via Skype. If you have any questions for her, log into the chat room on the website or the IRC channel. Instructions to log into that are uh, on the website. So, and without further ado, here's Dr. Marcy Bowers. How are you this evening, Dr. Bowers? Oh,
1: I'm recovering from a cold, but otherwise doing well. Thank you for asking.
0: Good. It it sounds like you're um, having fun with the Christmas hordes.
1: <laughs> Battling the crowds, yeah. <laughs> I do it once a year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's. I think that's about the only amount that any of us can stand at any one point.
1: Well, <sighs> yeah, I do have the shopping bug, I confess, but... Um, but uh, Christmas crowds are really tough to deal
0: with. Uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, the city I live in, the Christmas crowds make it even hazardous on the road. <laughs>
1: so. Yeah, I, I, I see this. <laughs> all funny <laughs> drivers are notorious, too. We're all in a hurry to go somewhere.
0: Yeah. I, I lived in L.A. for about a year or so, Yeah. <laughs> I remember the traffic on the I-5s. <laughs> exactly. So that's some of that what I was doing.
1: Anyway, well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: No problem there. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, that's a that's an open-ended question, I guess, to say the <laughs> least. Are, can you see me all right like this? Does that work out?
0: Um, I can actually I... don't have the camera lives, but we can oh. hear you oh. well, that works, perfectly. That
1: um, yeah, yeah. so um, uh, I am a, uh, uh, an OBGYN by training, uh, physician, MD. Uh, I trained at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I grew up in, in Wisconsin, and, uh, but went to school in Minnesota and uh, did my residency in Seattle at the University of Washington, uh, practiced uh, OB for about, uh, thir- about no, 17 years if you include residency, So over that time, I delivered a couple of thousand babies, but our uh, practice is also heavily surgical. And so uh, with my surgical training, I uh, uh, did a great deal of pelvic surgery, mainly gynecologic. And uh, uh, in the year 2000, met Stanley Biber, and he kind of planted a seed. And so about mid-career, I made a big switch and uh, realizing that there were very few docs that do transgender work. And so I uh, moved my practice and, and uh, my loved ones and everything down to Colorado, where I was for seven years. And uh, now I've been in the Bay Area for uh, going on four years already.
0: Okay. Um, and that's kind of what made you decide to take over Dr. Beiber's, uh practice when he retired, is because the, the, the lack of surgeons that are doing GRS?
1: Yes, at the at the time I uh, met him, he was seventy eight years old, and when I actually got to train with him, he was in his uh, he was already eighty years old. So, um, besides Dr. Biber, there were uh, there were a couple of docs in Montreal, which you know, and uh, uh, Dr. Meltzer in Arizona. And Dr. Shrang then in Wisconsin, who also was in his 70s, and besides that, there really uh, there weren't many else. So um, it it just seemed like a, it, it seemed like the somebody had to step up, otherwise the the, the procedures were going to die or become um, very difficult to a- attain.
0: Yeah, um, I know for well, I came out finally in 1995, and at the time, short of Dr. Meltzer, Strang and Dr. Biber, everything else was being done in Thailand or overseas in Europe. So uh, I, I'm really glad that more surgeons are taking the step to open their doors. Um, I know there's um, yourself um, here in Cleveland, where I'm stationed, um, there is a doctor that does female-to-male um, surgeries as well as augmentations. And then there's two in the uh, Philadelphia area, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So And so
1: they would not have learned their procedures uh, if I hadn't stepped up. Uh, Christine McGinn and I uh, spent a lot of time together early on when I was uh, just... Um, just beginning, and so she was able to benefit from my having uh, worked with Dr. Biber. And then, uh, as part of that, her training was completed in a plastic surgery residency um, who, and the po- the program director there was Sherman Leese, and uh, I was able to train him as well, and uh, then he picked his one resident of the year, which happened to be Christine McGinn. So, it's a, it, it's a close-knit circle, but I feel like I was the important linchpin that allowed those others. And then since then, Dr. Garamoni and Kathy Rumor have also come through Dr. Lisa's program.
0: Okay, so some uh, high marks there as far as being able to do GRS for people.
1: Exactly, yeah. That was, that was a really important thing to uh, open it up, especially back east uh, and, and give people some options out there
0: right now um i know dr biber pioneered the biber button which is just basically <laughs> a from what i've read it's basically a suture that attaches um the cervical portion of the neo vagina that's just been created to the uh ab- the uh, abdominal wall is that correct or
1: yeah basically that's right there, the it, it um it, there's a, a layer called the fascia which um yeah, and the idea being that if you can uh, anchor the, uh, the vagina in place, that it's more likely to stay there. Now, uh, there were a lot of things Dr. Biber did that I began to experiment with very quickly and uh, in my practice. And we have subsequently found that that really isn't necessary to do the Biber button. And it it, leaves, it used to leave a kind of a nasty scar at times. So we found that just with good packing and really good uh, plastic surgery technique applied to the graft, uh, there just is not a need to put the fiber button in.
0: Okay. Um, like I said, I've, I've done a lot of research over the years, so I kind of know a little bit about it, um, but could you explain the, uh, the penile inversion technique a little bit? Because I know you do that and the labioplasty all at one time to create the clitoral hood correct um could you explain that technique a little bit because there's not a lot of information out there for people who no, are wondering what I, their body's going to go through
1: right i'm uh i I've, I've been in the process of writing parts of three books here just lately. three book chapters so not three books but three book chapters Um, just because there is a big demand for people to understand and and learn about what this is. And the way I would describe the technique now is it is a highly modified version of the penile inversion technique. So that was kind of the prototype where, um, where lining from the penile skin is used to basically line the vagina, which in people's minds, you know, you can really, you can really grasp that. You can see how if it's inverted. That would make, yeah, that's right. makes a perfect lining. In fact, the lining of the natal vagina is squamous epithelium, the same lining that lines the, the penis. So it makes perfect sense that that would be used to line the new vagina. But that doesn't allow enough depth. Now, Dr. Biver did a simple inversion, period. He didn't do the grafting that it takes to get the additional depth. And so his patients were, uh, you know, he was very good at what he did, but they were challenged in, in finding depth. So what we did is add the, add the, Additional plastic surgery technique of taking a graft from the scrotal skin and and suturing that to the inverted penile skin, and then you get absolutely uh, you know depth uh, virtually 100 percent of the time. So that okay. was a that was a very very important advance. But uh, again, the other the other um, assumptions that were made in doing a two stage technique. And some doctors still do it. With all due respect, they do. They, you know, they have, that's what they learn, and they're comfortable with it, and so that's what they do. But it it really is an outdated technique in the sense that what they miss out on is the use of the uh, uh, urethra mucosa, which you can see that it belongs there because there are conditions, uh, intersex conditions called hypospadias, where the urethra opens along. Uh, the ventral portion or the undersurface of the penis it it abnormally opens lower and lower and uh, again it's considered an intersex condition and along the extremes of that condition at its most severe it looks surprisingly like female anatomy so a female vulva and so that to me that evolution or those different degrees of hypospadias are what tells us how things naturally evolve as we all go from female for those of us for those who are male they go to uh, you know that area closes down the middle and so it indicates that that area was used or should be used if you're going to go in the reverse and change that person from male into female so using that beautiful pinkish non-hair bearing mucosa to line the labia is the key to understanding why the one-stage procedure makes sense and why it looks much more physiologic.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I, I know I've looked at some of the after pictures um, that you have up on your website, and you really can't tell the difference. <laughs> well,
1: thank you. <laughs>
0: that's what, that's
1: um, what we're known for. You know, it, it, it's in, you know so functionally... Uh, There are many, many, many good locations to do, to have surgery, fortunately, these days. And as I say, many good surgeons, but there are fewer good techniques. And it's good technique that allows it to look so realistic.
0: Okay. Now, in using um, the scrotal skin uh, for a graft to help form the vagina, the vagina, the vagina, Excuse me, I can't talk now. Um, I know a lot of people have gone through orcheotomies and they worry about shrinkage of the scrotal skin.
1: Well, that's, that's a very common question. And so thanks for asking that um, because it, it, that's another uh, assumption that's probably not true. Uh, yes, the scrotal skin will shrink. But, uh, you know, and, and even if you compare it to the, the days when Dr. Biber did these surgeries where he didn't use it at all, or Dr. string they didn't use the squirrel skin at all. Um, now, with the use of that squirrel skin, even if it's small, it's going to stretch, and so it's tremendous skin that works very, very well, and the body always accepts it. Um, so, uh, it's an, it's, it's just, it's been a huge advance in us being able to always get depth for patients.
0: Okay, so it kind of, uh, it's kind of like muscle memory the skin just remembers what yeah. it was before and just goes right back to it. Well, it's stretchy. You
1: know, it's, the squirrel skin is very stretchy. So just because it doesn't have the, you know, just cause the, the, uh, the nuts are no longer in the toolbox. You've still got the, the, you know, you still got the, the covering. <laughs> so.
0: Okay. Um, now I, like I said, I have read over your site, um, several times. actually have it bookmarked on my computer. Um, you, in your aftercare, um, now you're in the hospital for three days.
1: That's right. Three nights now. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then there's an aftercare facility, um, that's not far from the hospital.
1: Right. We're, we're slowly consolidating. Um, <clears throat> uh, when I first started, this was, uh, Patients stayed in the hospital for ten full days, where in some locations they still do that. It's it's extraordinary, to me, but you know, in bed rest most of that time. Um, so patients used to wake up so weak and just disoriented and depressed for being in bed in the hospital all week. We found that by shortening their hospital course, um, number one, it's allowed us to keep our keep our fees flat, so we haven't had to raise them really. Um, uh, much at all over the last few years, um, uh, but also, um, it pe- people feel better. They just they they do better. Uh, we've known that from other surgeries where if they can get up early and and return to some degree of normalcy and, and move around a bit, um, there's a better sense of well being, and they actually have fewer complications. Okay. So. The, so then, um, so then the question is, of course, they're, they're not really free because they have a catheter in and uh, some packing in the vagina. That's really all that's left after three days. Um, then we, we like them to remain close. So we have had an aftercare facility here where we had someone who has had, had, a, had some nursing training but wasn't a nurse per se. And She used to look after people. Um, we don't have that model yet again. She's, she's actually moved on to other ventures. Um, some would say that was a good thing. Um, for, not everybody cared for Gwen, but she was a, a good person. And uh, But needless to say, um, the other arrangement we have is just um, in um, some of the extended stay uh, facilities where meals and such are provided. And then I live very, very close as well, so um, patients... Uh, Patients have constant contact with me um, by cell
0: phone. Okay. Now, I know you, um, practice since you've moved your practice to San Mateo, to the mm-hmm. hospital there. Do you still practice in Trinidad, or do you just maintain an office there?
1: That's our great staff. Uh, Robin and Janet have been with me uh, for seven years or so now, and uh, they're just absolutely an indispensable part of the program. Janet does all the insurance authorizations and Robin does the coordinating and scheduling and emails and she's really the she does it all and uh, so so they're they've been very valuable but their families are in Trinidad and uh, they chose not to come out west with me uh, when we moved uh, so we just do everything you know, these days everything is a virtual office anyway and um, You know, when you call call airline customer service, you're talking to someone in in India or Pakistan or something, or the Philippines, so here at least, you're just talking to someone in Trinidad when you call us. But we also have a local office, and uh, Michelle and Safina operate out of that office, and they do a lot of great work as well.
0: Okay. Now, you explained a little bit about the penile inversion technique, and I know you are um, staunchly a Against uh, a urethral extension for the female to male. Um,
1: no, um, no, actually, um, we do
0: we uh, we do that as part
1: of what's called a ring metoidioplasty. Okay. Or the ring meta, the ring meta, the it, the, um, yeah, most it's hard to find anyone who's willing to do the urethral extension anymore because. Um, because their the complication rate is is still uncomfortably high, and so unfortunately, um, even though guys the, the guys pass socially very well due to the effects of testosterone, the surgery choices for bottom surgery aren't still aren't ideal. There's just you you know there's just not you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing, and um, so um, so they still have some challenges. Uh, phalloplasty is not perfect because of the donor site grafts and the fact that no, that not many people like to do a urethral extension, and then the the metoidioplasties suffer from um, only relying on testosterone to increase the phallus, um, and uh, and then uh, before the ring metoidioplasty there was really nothing that was allowing a urethral extension, so with the urethral extension at least they're able to stand to pee.
0: Okay. The reason I thought you were staunchly against it is um, I did when Discovery Health and Fitness was reshowing some of uh, Sex Change Hospital. Oh, I remember right. a couple of uh, uh, a couple of uh, female to males that wanted that extension, that wanted the full phalloplasty, but um, you advised against it, uh, mostly due to the complications. Um, the infections, the bacterial infections, the um, IUD, the um, uh, UTIs that can occur, um, the infection backing up through the um, urethral yeah. bladder and into the kidneys, yeah. and
1: um, unfortunately, yeah, sex change hospital was a great little program, did a lot of educating, but unfortunately, it predated my getting into um, ring so at that time I wasn't really offering those. That was filmed in uh, 2000. Four to 2006, and I began doing ring metoidioplasties in 2007. So, um, so that was thanks to a, a Japanese plastic surgeon by the name of Ako Takamoto, uh, Takamatsu. I'm sorry, and uh, Dr. Takamatsu uh, was gracious enough to come over from Tokyo and uh, uh, sit with me as I did my first uh, procedures. So that was very helpful, and that's really plugged a hole in some of the because I recognized the, the needs of the of the FDM guys and, and that they that that is something that some of that many of them really feel is important so unfortunately sex change hospital didn't reflect that
0: okay now with the females to, the female to males um, yes. I know you do a hysterectomy on them removing the uterus and removing the ovaries do you uh, remove the Vaginal cavity, the vagina, or I know some uh, of the some it, would be uh, interested in no. that. So
1: the question is, do I do a vaginectomy with their with their reassignment? Um, it it it's a lot of buck for the bang, is what we say. Um, those those procedures have a lot of blood loss, or they have potentially a lot of blood loss. Uh, there is one doctor that works with Dr. Meltzer that does really an excellent job with that, and it's something that I we need to add to our uh, armamentarium. Uh, I've done about a half dozen of those over the years. They're just difficult. I, I, I'm good at what I'm good at what I do. I'm, that's certainly possible. I just don't like to do them, to be honest. That's really the main reason that's held me back. And and it has mainly to do with the amount of blood loss that comes with it. Um, they're just they're just tough to do. Plus, they really don't add anything uh, to uh, to you know, it's nothing that you see visibly. You don't get any concrete result from it. And some patients like to retain uh, their canal after uh, after metoidioplasty. So it's complicated, um, but in the future, it's an option. But it'll never be an option for everyone.
0: Okay. Now, um, I I mentioned the show. Did did sex change hospital change your practice in any way? Or,
1: Um, oh, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, I think to a degree it did. You know, if if anything, like like in a case like this, you know, where you where you can be um, under the under the uh, I I won't say unobjective, but um, under the objective eye of a, of a TV camera, you know, if you watch any of these programs, you look back on your own program and, and say, wow, that wasn't very good. Like, for example, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of funny, I mean, what, not funny to me, but, um, but funny now in hindsight, because, you know, these problems have all been addressed. But, you know, I have one patient where his, his, uh, his testicle came out, you know, and so here they went back to, to visit the guy. Now, that's a natural, that happens. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you put tissue expanders or what. The the testicles are foreign bodies, and so occasionally they get squeezed out. But the important thing I learned, um, and part of that is from that show, was that you need to pick the right size for the right person, which, you know, kind of makes sense. Why it didn't appear sensible to me at the time, I don't know. But, you know, it's somebody who wanted large testicles, but they really weren't right for them. And if you, if they're too large, there is going to be friction and, uh, and the body's going to tend to reject them as a foreign body. Like, much like if you get a splinter beneath your skin, the the body's going to want to push that out. So, so that, for example, was a change. And then probably the other thing about the, about the F to M surgeries too, is that, is that, uh, is that. Uh, they needed urethral extensions. Some guys really find that that is a, an important part of their identity, and so I try to listen. You know, I, I really I really do try to listen. Um, I'm not perfect, and I don't you know I don't have time to learn everything I would like to learn and like to offer, um, but but I I keep listening, and uh, yeah, shows like Sex Change Hospital definitely made me examine what I was doing and what I was thinking
0: at the time. Okay, so it actually helped you to look to the future and progress forward in your technique and in your thought and in the in your counseling with your patients.
1: I, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, there was another frustrating thing that happened in that program, too. One of the patients was turned away because she had a, a relatively common blood disorder that you know, had some potential implication, uh, you know, it was, I came from a large hospital system, I'm, you know, i am experienced many of these things, and um, it should have been a non-issue, but because I was practicing in such a small rural community hospital, I got a lot of pushback there from the, the medical director, and uh, it, it also made me realize that, you know, that I was Going to always be a parochial physician if I remained in Trinidad. So that was actually one of the early factors that started making me think, gosh, I sure would like to be somewhere where I wouldn't have to, you know, offer um, basically rural medicine to people. I want to be able to offer cutting edge medicine and be somewhere where we've always got expertise around me. Even if I don't have the answers, I want somebody else to have the answers.
0: Okay. Um, and just so that our, our listeners um, do have kind of a ballpark figure, um, for like a, a male to female operation, you know, approximately what is the final cost? Um, and does that include the aftercare facility as well?
1: Okay, great questions. Uh, so, yes, the aftercare f- uh, uh, stay is uh, covered. So that's three nights in the hospital and three nights at the at the aftercare location. And what's nice is we usually get a room large enough so that people, if they have family members, they are also um, welcome to stay. So that's a nice feature. And I believe the fee is twenty three thousand five hundred, uh, which is almost exactly what it was in Colorado just even even four years ago. So, um, so. Uh, so we've been, I've been working very hard at keeping that fee down. Um, I, I take a lower percentage than other surgeons do for what I do um, because costs in California here are very high, but I do far more surgery than most other surgeons. So, um, so we, you know, i I mean, I really try to walk the walk and talk the talk. I mean, I really understand that it's important for people. And cost is a big issue. And I really, as much as I can, I try to keep it from being, you know, the a deterrent for someone or for someone having to go overseas because they can't afford care in the U.S. That should, really shouldn't happen. Um, the other thing we've done is we, we've been out in front at getting... Uh, at signing with insurance companies and taking insurance reimbursement up front so with us people don't have to pay the entire amount and then seek reimbursement for their insurance company we will pre-authorize the care and uh, and take only what your insurance does not pay so for most patients that's under a couple of thousand dollars and as of last year our we we uh, we have about 60% of our clients covered by insurance. So that has changed radically in the 10 years or so I've been doing this.
0: Yeah, that has. Because um, I, I know I myself, I'm, I'm looking for an insurance company that actually has proper coverage for somebody who is pre-op transgendered, that can transition into the post-op transgendered. Um, so... I'm still looking for that in that company.
1: <laughs> well, they're almost, you know, HRC has a, a very good website now, and uh, HRC has its faults. But one of the things that they did do right was they insisted that in order to get a hundred percent rating on their um, corporate equality index, uh, companies had to cover transgender surgery. So they have that. If you go on the HRC website, you can you can get on that pretty easily. And, uh, and you'll find that, that there's an extraordinary number now of uh, Fortune 500 companies and, and smaller to, small to medium-sized companies that cover GRS. In fact, uh, in California, we've come so far that uh, this year, the legislature here passed a law stating that by the end of 2014, all insurance companies in California must cover GRS. So basically, if you are employed in California... You can have surgery covered.
0: Uh, That that makes the allure of moving back to California (laughs) even higher for me. Um,
1: Now, with you. (laughs) That was a fear. That was a fear with San Francisco. You know, this is the whole thing is that, you know, San Francisco, when they first started covering transgender uh, surgery, under its insurance policy, the, everyone said, ah, oh, the whole world's going to move to San Francisco. They're going to all come here and they're going to all want, you know, all the transgenders, it's going to be nothing but, you know, well, you know, fears, this, that, oh my God, it's, you know. And, and, and so they said, well, we better set aside a whole bunch of money to cover all these surgeries that are going to come through our health plan. Well, guess what? Um, <laughs> a very small percentage of people, uh, requ- requested surgery uh, far less than they had than the money they had set aside, and uh, uh, sure enough, after after just a couple of years, the the number of patients seeking sex change sex reassignment uh, in San Francisco wasn't any higher than most other businesses. Uh, it it just it became a non-issue, and I think okay. California is going to find that too. We're we're you know more and more states cover it. And uh, there's more and more acceptance. Um, it, you know, it's definitely a tough road in some certain segments of the country. But for the most part, the, the direction is bending in the direction of fairness. So things are, things are improving slowly.
0: Okay. I was about to ask you um, if Healthy San Francisco had any impact on, your, uh, on the amount of surgeries that you do. Because um, I know, and, and here in Cleveland, um, our councilman that is in charge of the medical board uh, the, and the medical practices here in Cleveland, and re, in charge of reviewing the hospitals and such, is actually looking at introducing that type of legislation, um, modeled after Healthy San Francisco. Uh,
1: well, fantastic. yeah, I think it. You know, it's a a lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, cities around the country have done so, and uh, they found, like San Francisco, that it's not really that scary. And what it does do is it, is it really makes a, a huge positive impact for people who, um, who need the care. You know, it's, a, it's hard to put out $23,000 for, for surgery. I don't care if it's, you know, I don't care what it is. Most people couldn't do that if they had to. And all transgender people are trying to do is just survive. You know, they're just trying to get through the – they're just trying to normalize and, and uh, get on with our
0: lives. Okay. Now, um, you yourself uh, – and this is one of the things that actually brought you to the forefront um, on my surgical options, you and um, Christine McGinnis – is that you yourself have gone through GRS. Do you have any advice for people who are preparing um, for, the, for the surgery?
1: Well yeah I do I think I think both of us feel we have a certain amount of empathy and uh, I know that personally what I do you know I before I go into the OR I I look in the you know literally look in the mirror and say you know this I don't care how many surgeries I've done I'm just about to start my the most important surgery ever in terms of this patient that I'm going to be working on you know when you, and, and I'm not sure every physician feels that way. Uh, I mean, I mean, that, I think there's a lot of good docs out there, and I, I don't mean to discount anybody who, you know, if they're in the field, I, they have a lot of respect for me, and just from the get-go, just because it's, you know, you get a lot of scorn from your peers by working with with the transgender population. Um, but um, but it's getting better. Uh, but it took really courageous people like. Um, Stanley Biber and Schrang and Meltzer and and things to you know they they had to have a certain amount of courage to face the skepticism of their peers so those of us though that have been through it we do have that little additional niche of empathy I think for the fact that we know that we know how difficult it is and we know how important the the outcomes of surgery are going to be
0: okay all right, um, Dr. Bowers, uh, the, that is what we have time for currently. Um, I will get a link over to the HRC insurance put up on the website under the additional information and additional links. Uh, we thank you for uh, this interview today. And if everyone will tune in on Friday at 7 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, uh, we will be live uh with uh Whitney Denham she is an activist out of Oklahoma and she'll be getting on to talk uh, talk to us a little bit about what she does there and she is the co-founder of an anti-hate and anti-bullying uh foundation there in Oklahoma all right thank you for tuning into Trans Talk and have a great evening